And during that time, the one group of books that sold more than almost any, certainly in the mystery world, was the work of Ross MacDonald. Ross MacDonald, and, and he also, his real name was Ken Millar, but his, his publishing name was Ross MacDonald. He did something that practically no uh, mystery writer had done before him. He, he humanized his characters. He humanized the situations. He made things much more contemporary. Um, and the other thing is that he used to situate all the books in Santa Teresa, which was really Santa Barbara. He just had it under another name. As a matter of fact, Sue Grafton, another one of the award winners, also does her stuff in Santa Teresa. And uh, needless to say that we've become very, 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 uh, very, very successful. Uh, now we think, uh, uh, this goes back maybe about 10 years ago, when we were doing the Book and Author Festival, we thought it was time to recognize some of the West Coast California writers, uh, could be mystery, didn't have to be mystery, who really brought something to the entire public, something new, something fresh, something lasting. And so we tried to create the Ross McDonald Award. We thought it was very important that use that as sort of a recognition of some of the great writers here in our communities. And we certainly, we did T.C. Boyle, we did Sue Grafton, we did Robert Cray. Last year we did Dennis Linz, and this year we are giving it to another local person, and I'm gonna turn this all over to Susan Gilbranson. On a heavier note. <laughs> I brought the award in this morning. Uh -oh. <laughs> I brought it in this morning. I gave it. Jim had it. Smile. On a happier note. <laughs> All right, we blow it. <laughs> well, I'll start while we're waiting with my brief introduction to Fanny Flagg. I call her queen of storytelling because she tells wonderful stories, one after another, within a chapter. Um, from 1987, when she first published Fried Green Tomatoes, and most of you are probably familiar with that, and you might have seen the movie too, and she helped write the script for the movie, by the way. Um, and then this last year, her 10th book came out, uh, The Whole Town is Talking. And it's about a town in, um, in Missouri that was started by a Norwe uh, Norwegian man, uh, Lodor no Nordstrom, in 1889. And he needed a wife, and he got a mail-order wife, and that started the town. It also includes the Still Meadows Cemetery. Now, the whole town's talking, including those in the cemetery. <laughs> so it's a very unusual book, and it's full of great stories. And the two things about Fanny's books that stand out for me, first of all, she writes about more or less middle class people. They are people who are looking for a good life. They can't always get it, but it's not, they are not books filled with violence. Yet she fills her books with a mystery about the character, so you never know what to expect next. And that's what keeps you turning those pages one after another. And she is just superb at telling a story. 
Okay. Now she's going to have a story to tell about how she almost didn't get an award she was being given. <laughs> it is. about this award is that it's really not just for a good writer, but a writer who is part of a community. And Fanny is great in Santa Barbara. She helps participate and is with the community as well as hides out to write her books. Thank you. Take one more look. It's downstairs at Chaucer's. Thank you very much. Thank you. Susan, thank you so much, my sweetheart, for Susan is my dear friend who I first met at this conference in 1975. We were both 16, and uh, thank you. This award means a lot to me. Uh, he was, Mr. Ross McDonald, was a very dear friend of someone who I adored, and I'll tell you more about that later, Eudora Welty, who is a Mississippi writer. And Monty, I want to thank you. Um, sure, I'm, I don't know, some of you may not know, he is the son of Charles Schultz, Peanuts, and he was a very dear friend of mine. And I have kept this a secret for a long, long time, but this is my last conference, and I thought I would let him know. Charles and I were very close. Monty, I am your real mother. <laughs> I keep coming back. I'm not actually a writer. I'm just checking up on you. And um, I was also close with Barnaby Conrad, who founded this. Barnaby Conrad III. Oh, never mind. Uh, this is not true. There you are. Mom! Yeah. Uh, I'm sure uh, those of you uh, who do not know my story with the conference, um, and some of you do because you've heard this story, I will tell you. This conference uh, means everything in the world to me. If it had not been for me coming to this conference, I would still be on match game. And, uh, <laughs> but um, I always wanted to be a writer. And I am here tonight to inspire you, because after you hear my story, you will say, if that woman can write a book, I have it made. <laughs> I am here to inspire you. There's not a person in this room that cannot succeed uh, writing something. And everybody's different. And um, I always wanted to be a writer from the time I was a very tiny little, little girl. And I was born in Birmingham, Alabama. And um, I was not always Fanny Flagg. My real name uh, is the name uh, of a famous movie star. My father was a motion picture machine operator in Birmingham, Alabama, so was my grandfather. And my father um, named me after one of his favorite movie stars. It was Rock Hudson? No, it was... <laughs> my real name is really Patricia Neal. And... Uh, 
I know. And so I, uh, when I went to go in showbiz, uh, there was already a Patricia Neal. So I had about 10 minutes to come up with a new name. And uh, I, I thought of this. I thought, what, well, I want. I was doing comedy, and I thought, what's the, what's the name people won't forget? What's the silliest name I can think of? And unfortunately, I came up with it. And uh, <laughs> never dreaming that one day uh, that it would be on books. And um, so, anyhow, I wanted very much to be a writer. And my mother, um, like any good Southern mama, uh, called me Patsy. And my mother sent me to Catholic school. I'm not Catholic, but it was right around the corner. So um, I went to Catholic school, and I was there about a year and a half, and the sister called my mother. And she said, uh, Mrs. Neal, um, I'm calling to give you a report on Little Pasty. And uh, she works well with others. She's a little shy in this. And she said, and Pasty does well, uh, you know. And, that, and my mother said, I'm sorry, sister. Uh, her name is Patsy. And the sister said, well, she spells it Pasty. <laughs> that was our first clue. Something was the matter. Um, as it turns out, and they didn't know that then, I am severely dyslexic. I cannot spell. Um, and so I had a terrible time in school, and I was just wanted so much to write. And I got terrible grades uh, because I would, they would say, we love your story, but you, your spelling is terrible, your grammar is terrible. And so I went, I became, I thought, how am I going to express myself? And I would, um, start, I went into sort of like acting, and I would make up stories and tell them, but I, I couldn't write them. And so I went my whole life just longing to be a writer, but I couldn't do it. And I moved to Santa Barbara in 1975, and uh, we had the uh, conference at the old Miramar Hotel. And I, as I moved here, there was a big sign on a, a post, and it said, Santa Barbara Writers' Conference, the main speaker this year is Eudora Welty. Well, Eudora Welty is my favorite Mississippi short story writer. I just adored her, and I thought, oh, if I could just meet her, oh, if I could just hear her, I would just be so thrilled. So I walked over to the Miramar Hotel, and I bought a ticket for the week because I thought that's what you had to do, and I showed up the first night, and Barnaby Conrad, uh, who started this conference, who, by the way, uh, to this day, I've met a lot of people. I have never met anybody more talented and more in so many different ways than Barnaby Conrad and his wife Mary and Barnaby uh, were so sweet to me and they I came to the conference and it was opening night and Barnaby got up and he was talking about the uh, competition that year. They, he said, we're going to have a little competition and it's going to be a short story and he said, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give you the word. It's one word we're going to write about this year and I noticed that all these people that I assumed were all, I can see Hawaii because you all look so smart and uh, I thought, oh, they're all English professors or whatever and Barnaby said, well, the word this year is going to be childhood. And people wrote it down, and I got out my pencil, and I wrote, childhood. <laughs> uh, so anyhow, um, I thought, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And the opening speaker that year 
was uh, 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 Ray Bradbury, and I loved Ray Bradbury, and he talked about the books that he'd read as a child, and all the books that he mentioned, ladies, were all uh, Huckleberry Finn, Tom Sawyer, the Rover Boys, the this and that, and I thought, well, you know what? Um, there needs to be a coming-of-age story about a girl, a young girl. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll write about being a little girl, something about an adventure, whatever. And um, I came up with something. My father, as I told you, was a motion picture machine operator, and he was somewhat of a flim-flam man as well. And uh, <clears throat> he had wanted uh, to, make, to go into showbiz, and he'd seen a little uh, evangelist over in Mississippi, that uh, made a lot of money, and, and this little boy was like 11. So my father uh, rigged up this miracle that he was going to have happen, where he puts me in a boat in the Gulf of Mexico, <laughs> and I'm to pull the plug and swim in. And uh, when I come out of the water, he's got a cross on the cloud, and I'm to say, I've been in heaven with my father, and I've come to tell the sinners of South Alabama how to live. And, and he thought he was going to make a lot of money. Well, he didn't. <laughs> My mother found out about it. So anyhow, I thought, well, that'll, that'll be very funny to write about. So anyhow, so uh, I, I wrote that, and I thought, but how am I going to to compete with these brilliant people? So I went down to the drugstore, and I bought a little notebook, child's notebook. And so I thought, I'll write it as an 11-year-old little child, and if I misspell something or my grammar is not what it should be, they're going to go, oh, okay, that's the 11-year-old child. So, and um, Barnaby said, now don't put your real name on it because we don't want to play favorites or whatever. So when I finished the little thing, I, I wrote uh, Edna Ferber. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was sitting there, and I went the whole week, and of course I... I heard Eudora Welton. Oh, I was just, it was wonderful. She was delightful. And I heard all these other great writers that, that come every year. And, and so that night, the, the competition, and, the, and Barnaby got up, and he said, uh, we have a winner uh, in the uh, short story. It is Edna Ferber. <laughs> So I was, of course, at one moment thrilled and the next moment feeling like a huge fraud because I knew I had cheated, and, but Yodora Welty gave me the prize, wow. so I took it. Wow. And it just meant the world to me. And um, after the conference, because of the connections with the conference, this little short story, it was called Daisy Fay and the Miracle Man. And it, uh, I was called by an agent in New York, and he said um, he was with Morrow, William Morrow, and he brought me in. And I had been on television at that time, uh, and so I had, he sort of knew who I was, and he said, I want to talk to you about your short story. And I thought, oh, he's going to want me to do a short story book with these little, this little girl. And I thought, I think I can do that. So I went for the meeting, and he talked to me about it, and he said, um, he said, we want a book, a whole book, and I said, uh, oh, and he, I said, the short stories? He said, no. He said, what I want you to do is take that short story and turn it into a novel. And I, I fell apart, and I started crying, and I said, I can't do a novel. And he said, why? I said, I said I'm so sorry, I can't spell. And he said, oh, honey, what do you think we have editors for? 
I said, really? He said, yeah. I said, oh, well, if somebody can correct my spelling, I'll try. I said, how long is the novel? He said, 425 pages. I said, well, that's then. You know, it's not that so much now. And so I went out, and I bought 425 pieces of paper. And I wrote, and I wrote, and I weighed it. And it was two pounds and three ounces. And by the time I, it weighed, it got there, I, I had a book. And I published my first book, which was called Daisy Fay and the Miracle Man. People don't, people mostly think Fried Green Tomatoes was my first book, but it wasn't. So it did okay. It did okay. And I think, to be honest with you, it did okay only because I had been on television. And so people said, oh, well, we can, we can kind of push that and she can get on some shows, which she couldn't have done. And uh, so I was very pleased with it and all of that. But I continued into show business because that was how I was making a living. But you know what? I wasn't happy. Something was missing. I never felt at ease in show business. I always wanted to observe rather than be observed. And there was just something about writing that just seemed to just make my heart sing. And um, I thought about it and thought about it. And my mother uh, in Alabama called me at one point. And she said, how are you doing? You sound a little sad. And I said, well, I said, you know, Mama, I think, I, I think I'm going to write another book. And she paused and she said, well, honey, you've written one. <laughs> so that, I wasn't, it didn't encourage me. But um, anyhow, long story short, I wrote a second book. And uh, I wrote the, you know, not the whole book, but some of the book. And uh, it was, it was uh, about an old lady in a nursing home. And um, it was based on my, my, my great aunt's life. And um, I had lost my parents very unexpectedly. They were very young, and, and I'm an only child. So I went home to Birmingham, and I was driving around. And I don't know if this has ever happened to any of you, but I wanted to go back home, and I was driving around looking at the places that I used to live, and I was eating the foods that I used to eat as a child, and I was just doing this, and I thought, what is the matter? And I think I was trying to connect back with them, and it was comforting, try to find some comfort. And my great aunt, her name was Bess Fortenberry, had a little railroad cafe in this little town outside of Birmingham called Irondale. And my great aunt, my grandmother on my mother's side was, was her sister. And there were like eight children. And they had been raised in this old, big old two-story white frame house. And uh, that's where they were raised. And across the railroad tracks was this little railroad cafe. And I only went out there four or five times as a child, but I remembered it was so warm and the atmosphere inside, everybody was so happy, and I'd heard so many fabulous stories about, strangely enough, the depression, and to hear how they lived together and loved each other, both races got along at that time, and they, it was a, just a wonderful period. And at, when I got through with, with that day, I drove, across the railroad tracks and the uh, the house, the old Fortenberry house at that time was empty and falling apart. It was falling in disrepair. The windows were cracked and the floor was falling apart. And um, 
before I went back to see the house, I went to see uh, a great aunt that I really didn't know that well. And um, I went into her house and she said, oh, I'm so glad you came. She said, you know, your great aunt, Bess Fortenberry, who had, who had been dead for about 20 years, she said, you know, she left you something and I uh, never got a chance to give it to you. And I said, well, what could she possibly have left me? And she went in the other room and she brought out a shoebox. And she handed it to me and I opened the shoebox and in the shoebox were little things of me uh, memorial things like uh, a piece of a child's hair, it was her high school diploma, photographs, just like it, little strange little things from her life and menus from the, the cafe. And I thought, well, this is strange. And I put it, and I put it in the car and it was about five o'clock in the afternoon and the sun was going down, it was in the fall. And when I turned around to go down the street where the old Fortenberry house was, I put the car lights on and just for a moment, the lights of my car hit the windows of the old house that were broken and it's, they started moving around and all of a sudden I could hear people walking around and singing, I could hear the old piano playing. And I stopped and I thought, that's what I want to write about. I want to bring those people back to life. I want them to live again. And I want to recreate, get them back in the house, get them back in the cafe. And now I knew why I wanted to write. I wanted to stop time. It's the one thing human beings can't do. We want to stop and look at that time and keep it forever. And that's basically why I write. And um, I, I did figure that out and I got very lucky because the book uh, was turned down, as Monty was saying, it's not easy. Uh, the book was turned down by my first publisher. Uh, it was turned down by about 10 or 11 other people that said, oh, we don't think anybody wants to read a book about an old lady in a nursing home. And uh, finally, Random House picked it up, and it was published, and it did, again, all right, but it made a movie, and that's what sold most of those books. Now, the good news about that was that when you have a hit movie, you can get a better contract, <laughs> which I did, and I was able to stop acting, which was not making me happy, and devote myself full time. And so Fried Green Tomatoes was my second book, my first book, of course, and I think all of you will understand this, all of you first writers, your first book is always going to be an autobiography. And my book was, and Mark Childress, who wrote Crazy in Alabama, is a good friend of mine, we were talking about that, everybody's first book is basically about their childhood or whatever, and he said, yeah, he said, my first three books was uh, about daddy was mean. <laughs> yeah, and my first book was daddy drank too much. So, so just know that that's gonna be it. And um, what I, and, and you know, so anyhow, my stories is that, is that a, a miracle happened and I, I, I got to be a writer and I love it and have loved it. It has given me the most fabulous life, the most fabulous friends. I finally met the people I wanted to meet. And I, I'll tell you this as an aside, I, one of the reasons uh, I wanted to be a writer is that I had been in showbiz for so long and I thought, I want to get kicked up to a better crowd. 
you know. And uh, I don't want to disillusion you, but uh, as you, when you're an author, I remember about four or five years ago, uh, because they send you out on these tours to sell books, and I was sitting in Costco's in front of the frozen turkeys <laughs> with a stack of my books, and I thought, that's not what I had in mind. But <laughs> that, that's what it's all about. But anyhow, I'm, I'm, I'm so excited to talk to you about what I have learned about writing. Uh, I've been so excited about coming here tonight, I've been dressed for three days. <laughs> I, but um, what I wanted to uh, kind of talk to you about, because this is about you, this is not about me, this is about what, uh, you know, to inspire you and to make you think about this. And so, you know, you want to write a book. Now, the reason I ask you that question is the next question is why? Do you have an idea why you want to do it? Uh, because what you're doing is you're putting something out in the universe. What is your message? Do you have a message? Why do you want to write this book? Do you want to write about people because you think they're bad? Or you want to put the message out that they're good? Or what is it that you want to say? And I think if you're clear about your message, it's very important because if, you're, if your message is coming from your heart and your soul, then the book will kind of write itself, I think. And uh, the good news about you, all the people that are new writers, is unlike the old days, it's, it's a lucky thing because years ago, you couldn't write a book unless you got a publisher. You had to go to a publisher. Now, we're in this world where you can self-publish. People are self-publishing. People are going to university presses. The, it, there are no rules. It's just fabulous. You're in that fantastic fantastic uh, era where uh, you can actually do it yourself. And in terms of my advice that I would give you and how I had been tripped up is that um, sometimes perfectionism tripped me up. I w wanted it to be perfect and uh, it can't be. You just have to let yourself go and write what you want to write and know that you can go back in there and change it. And the next thing that you're going to hear all week is cut. Don't be afraid to overwrite and then just cut, cut, cut. Now, I know it's very interesting uh, about uh, how you feel uh, politically or how you feel about a subject or whatever. And we all have those things, but please, uh, one of the things that I have to get cut out of every book is don't let the audience hear you speaking. Don't have some sweet little grandmother in the middle of a scene say, well, I just hate that Trump and all the Republicans. You go, what? 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 Where does that come from? Uh, you know... I, I've, I've tried it. I've tried to put my, my politics into, into these characters, and it doesn't work. They hear you. You get caught up every time, you know. And um, personally, there uh, a lot of people write outlines. I don't. And the good, other good news, I, I'm just full of good news. The other good news is there, there, is no, uh, there are no rules. 
Everybody is different. You know, I personally uh, have to go in a room all by myself, and I can't hear a phone ring. I can't hear anything because I have also ADD. Uh, I have friends that can sit in a room and answer the phone and write best-selling novels. I can't do it. But there are no rules. Some people write better in the morning. Some people write better at night. Just do it. The other thing I would tell you uh, about what makes a really good good writer and will serve you well, I think. Uh, somebody told me this. They were talking about baseball, and they said, um, they said, what makes a a great pitcher rather than a good pitcher? And I said, well, I don't know. And they said their ability to manage fear. And as writers, we all get terrified because you go, I don't have an idea. I'll never get another idea as long as I live. And you, or I'm stuck. I can't go further on this book. What you have to do is manage that fear, put it aside, don't be afraid to walk away, let it rest. It takes nine months to make a baby. You have to give yourself, if, you're, if your brains are overtired, just keep... Keep uh, in your mind that you don't have to finish it that day. T take a break and just trust, trust. And the other thing is, writing is very hard. So um, a lot of people will say, come up to me and they say, well, I don't know if I'm a writer or not. Here's the other great news. Uh, you'll know if you're a writer because if you can't not do it, you're a writer. It's too hard. You wouldn't do it. For me to write with my skills is like a one-legged tap dancer. <laughs> and yet I could not write, not do it. And that's what I'll tell you. Don't ever worry about am I a writer or not. You'll know because if you're not, you won't do it. The other thing is have fun. The most fun about writing is writing when it's going well. It's fabulous. There's nothing better. There's not a drink or a drug or anything else. When you are lost in your story and it's going well, it's the most exciting thing in the world. It, it, it's exhilarating. That's why I do it. It doesn't happen every day, but when it does, it's wonderful. Now, uh, again, my thing about a message is, what, what, what do you think the world needs to hear? So sometimes I think about that. What do you think the world needs to hear? That's what I think about. Um, what, are, what are my special talents? What is it I can do? I personally, because I think uh, I have a good ear, I am much better with dialogue than anything. I am not a great descriptive writer, but I'm good with dialogue and I'm good with comedy. And um, that's what I specialize in. And I know I can't compete with the detective stories. I can't compete with this or that. And um, so I kind of stick with what I know. And what I know is there's nothing funnier in the world than real life. I worked for Candid Camera for years. And we would be on the streets. And I could see when somebody figured out they were on Candid Camera. And they started trying to be funny. And they weren't. So we had to stop. So I learned that. And I have used that in my writing. And what I do is I get uh, small town newspapers. And most of the stories that are in my books are actually true. Because you can't make up anything funnier than what actually happens. 
You know, I read about a woman that got um, a needle-nose hound fish stuck in her leg because it jumped out of a water onto a boat. Well, that just cracked me up. I'm sure she didn't think it was funny. I put that in the book. A friend of mine had her toilet explode. I put that in the book because you can't make it up. So that's basically what I do. And the other thing is uh, don't take yourself so seriously. Uh, I used to take myself so seriously. Oh, God, I just thought it was the most important thing in the world, you know. And uh, it really isn't. And I almost made myself sick about it. So I have a sign on my little computer, and it says, um, it's not cancer, it's just a book. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And um, the next thing is... Uh, the most important thing is where do you get ideas? Where do you get ideas? Um, I can tell you, I told you where I got the idea for my first book, my second book, and every time I finish a book, I go, I'll never have another idea as long as I live. You know, it's over. And um, I, I wander around, and what I have learned to do, and this is part of the fear thing, is to trust the universe. There are millions of stories in there. And it will come to you, and what you will know when you when you latch onto it, what interests you. You have to be interested. You have to be interested enough to sit in a room by yourself and write. Um, that my third book, um, I was wandering around in a bookstore, and the, I looked on the shelf in, a, in the cookbook section, which, by the way, is absolute miracle because I don't cook. And there was this book, little book, and it was in Alabama. The bookstore was in Alabama, and it said, Radio Homemakers of the Midwest. And it was about a group of women who had radio shows in their kitchens in the 20s and the 30s, and they were fascinating. And I wrote a whole book about that. And uh, from, just different ideas come that way. And one book... I always have almost like one character will wind up in the next book because I fall in love with this character or that group of people. And uh, like the one of the last books that I wrote was came from Fried Green Tomatoes. And I'll tell you how. The, the name of this book is um, The All-Girl Filling Station, The uh, Last Reunion. And um, I, the lady that bought the little cafe from my great aunt, I called her on the phone one day from uh, California, and I asked her how she was doing. She said, fine, and I didn't know what I wanted. I wanted to ask her something. I forgot what it was, and she said, oh, honey, I wish you were here today. Uh, the little cafe, by the way, is now a block long. It's become like a tourist cafe, and uh, she said, the cutest bunch of women are in here. I said, really? Who are they? She said, well, they're wasps. I said, well, what's that? She said, well, these ladies uh, flew in the Second World War. And they are here on a reunion because one of the gals that was a, a flyer lives in Birmingham and they had a reunion and she brought them all out to the cafe. Well, I was just, I said, well, that's so fabulous. I said, um, tell them, I said, hello, thank them for their service. Let me get their check, which is nothing. And she said, uh, absolutely. The next week or so, I started getting books that these women sent me, and I thought, they want me to write that book, and I became fascinated with them. And I thought, how am I going to tell this story? How am I going to tell this story? And I needed a hook, and um, I had rented a little house up at the Alisal Ranch on a, on a golf course, 
And um, I couldn't go outside because the golf balls kept flying all over the house. And fly, you know, and, I, I, and so I was like this all the time outside. So one day I was sitting there just stuck and I looked at this guy out on the golf course and he was hitting balls by himself. And I thought, well, I'm going to go out there and talk to him. And I said, I said, honey, excuse me. I said, um, can you tell me why I'm, I, I'm renting this little house? And can you tell me why I have so many golf balls coming in my yard? And he laughed and he said, bad golfers. I said, oh, <laughs> that makes sense. And uh, he, said, he said, okay. And I said, well, uh, yeah, I guess I'll just have to live with it. And he said, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm, I'm trying to write a book. And I said, I want to write about the, you know, the Second World War in the 40s and um, when the country was so pulled together and everybody was, I loved that because it was bad, you know, things were getting weird in politics and all that. And I said, I want to write about that time when, when everybody was pulling together, like the 30s, like the Depression. And he said, oh, yeah, he said, that was a great, great time. He said, yeah, my mom was a, a member of an all-girl filling station. Minute he said that, my hair. <laughs> really, I thought, fabulous. So what I did is I told the story of these Polish sisters whose uh, dad had a filling station, and they ran the, ran the filling station, and one of them went off to be a wasp, and that's how I pulled the story together. And uh, so, you know, things, just things like that. And uh, I wrote a Christmas book, a Red Bird Christmas. And I, I wrote it because I had a picture of a cardinal that used to just, abs I used a lot of visuals. And this cardinal just fascinated me. So I wrote a whole story about a Red Bird Christmas based on just that uh, picture of that Red Bird, just things that happen. Now, uh, I will tell you the honest truth. Now, don't let this out of this room, but... Um, now, my last book, which was called The Whole Town's Talking, which uh, we just saw, and it was, um, I was having a hard time. I said, oh, I'll never have another idea as long as I live. I just never will. So I have this agent in New York, and I want you to remember and when I say agent, and I say New York. Okay, so it is her, to her advantage that I come up with an idea for a book. So uh, she calls me, and she said, well, how are you coming with your next book? And I said, oh, Joni, I don't know. I just don't have an idea in the world, you know, what to write about. And she said, hmm, she said, well, you know, uh, you write those little small town people. You write those really well. You, those little people you write about in the mid Midwest, this, this, this. And I said, I, yes. I said, I, I really like to write about that. I said, but Joni, I said, you know, damn, I've killed every one of them. <laughs> Again, there was a pause. Well, I wouldn't let that stop me. Well, that made me laugh so hard. And then, of course, I realized just because someone is dead doesn't mean that they stop. And so I came up with the idea of uh, doing a not a sequel but a prequel to uh, my other books about this little town, this mythical town that I write about, Elmwood Springs, Missouri. And so uh, I realized 
that basically my theme is always the same is, and I had it in, in uh, fried green tomatoes, why do people have to die? And I want them to keep going. We all do. We want to see our loved ones again. We want them to keep going. Who am I to say they don't? And so I sat down and wrote this last book. And I didn't let the fact that I'd killed them off once or twice stop me. <laughs> so um, I don't want to talk too much uh, longer, but I just want to wish you the best of luck. And the most thing is have fun, make friends. Um, some of my lifelong friends I made it first year I came here. And we all have something in common. And we all want to do something. And you can do it. And just have a wonderful time doing it. The research, I love research. And we're, again, the good news is I used to take three years to do research. On the internet, you can do it in six months. I don't take that long anymore because it's all there. We are in the best of all times to be writing. It's fabulous. And uh, again, university presses are, are terrific, you know? And um, I, I think that the, what the world needs now is your voice and how you think. And, and uh, best of all, uh, you know, your heart. Because uh, we're a, writers are sensitive people. And what we have to say is, is important. And you know what? Even if you never get published, it comes out of you and it helps you. Each book that I write is therapeutic. Uh, I, when I write a book, I fall more in love with people because people to me are good. And that was why I went into the direction I went because I thought there's a lot of books about people are terrible and horrible and they're just, you know, the world's going to hell in the handbasket. But there is another huge group of people that aren't going to hell in a handbasket. There are people that will jump into a river that don't know a person and save their lives. There are wonderful people that don't get written about. There are wonderful people that are every day getting up, going to work, paying their taxes, not complaining. They don't get a voice. That's what makes me write. So I ask you to find out what makes you write. What is it? What is it you want to put out there? What's your motive? What's your agenda? Uh, be good with it and um, just good luck to you. And I'm just um, tickled to death to have been asked to come here. It means more than you know to be able to come up and talk to you tonight. And um, good luck. Thank you.